You know, it's actually been almost five months. It seems surreal. This crisis has gone on a long time. God has definitely given us endurance. But beyond that, God is changing lives in powerful ways. And I want to give you some encouragement because some things here at Grace are the same and then some things are new. Uh, One thing that's the same is that we continue to be a praying church. 24-7 prayer. If you haven't found a half-hour slot yet, sign up. And we're praying together continuously during this time, praying for each other, praying for our community, praying for the nations. But here's something that's new. Fasting on Tuesdays. Choose a meal and let's all fast on Tuesdays for one meal. Something that's the same is life groups. We continue to meet together and life groups are really the core of our church. It's the best way to connect deep relationships, grow in your faith, but here's something that's new. It's digital. So anytime you want to sign up for a life group, a lot of them are on Zoom right now, we'll give you that information, but we're continuing to meet together just like they did in the early church in Acts chapter 2. We meet together in life groups. And then something that's new, we have I Can Help And we also have, I need help. We have a lot of people who've stepped up to serve. I can help. I can make a difference during this time. But we also have a lot of people who need help. So we want to care for each other, be generous, serve each other, and also let people know when we need some help. So that's something that's new. Uh, We continue to have our weekend services, three every weekend, and we're grateful we can open up the building now, too, for some people to, to be here. And at the same time, streaming goes out, and we're seeing that God is reaching people, not just in the sound, but in the nation and in the nations through live streaming. We want to continue to make upgrades in terms of the digital ministry. One of the things we're working on right now is an app. So we're going to have an app, Lord willing, in a few weeks, and we'll provide more content. We want to equip you and provide content for you for where you live, work, learn, or play so that you can abide, you can keep growing in your faith during this time. And then something new is we want to love Auburn. We always love Auburn, but we want to do it in some new ways, and we're providing food. And that's Grace Loves Auburn. It's a food giveaway. You just heard the details on that, so I'm not going to repeat it. But we're trying new things to meet the needs of the people in our neighborhood. And then our digital ministry is expanding and overseas right now. Uh, Even this past week, we saw great responses. Dubai, Uganda, Pakistan, many people coming to know Jesus. So it is a very unique time, but I want to encourage you that God is moving. Some of the things feel the same. Some feel different. We're trying to be creative, resourceful, but God is working in powerful ways, and you need to know that. Uh, Let's go ahead and pray together. Father God, we thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness, God, the ways you're providing. Lord, stir our hearts how we can serve, how we can pray, how we can fast, how we can make a difference, and also at the same time, how we can abide and receive from you from the abundance of your storehouses, God. We pray that our hearts would be open, receptive, and trust you more. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. The sufficiency of God. That feels so good to say. It is a truth. The sufficiency of God especially in times where there's turmoil, uncertainty, injustice, and loss. We want to be directed back to the sufficiency of God. That's what Isaiah the prophet is doing, directing our hearts, directing our souls back to the sufficiency of God. And Isaiah spoke to a nation. He spoke to the soul of a nation. At that time, people were wondering, because of the distress, because of the exile, because of the hardship, they were wondering, has God rejected us? Is God still here? How real is God? Is he absent? Is he just powerless? Does he still care? Those are deep questions. Those are honest questions. 
And those are questions that Isaiah was listening to. Those are questions that God knew because he knows our hearts and our thoughts. And again, the prophet was working to point people back to God, to the sufficiency of God. The sufficiency of God, which never changes. Well, what is the sufficiency of God? The sufficiency of God means that God's presence is infinite. His love is infinite. His holiness, his goodness, his purity, his strength, infinite. That's who our God is. That's who we worship. And at the same time, all, every good thing, all the blessings in our lives, they come from God. And they also, everything we need comes from him. His sufficiency, his grace is sufficient in our lives at all times. The sufficiency of God. Say, well, what is our role? If God is sufficient and he's infinite and he has all the provision, what is our role? Learning how to fully rely on the Lord leads to the fullness of his provisions. I want to say it again. We're learning to rely, to fully rely on the Lord. And when we do that, we see the fullness of his provisions. Is God generous? Does he provide in different ways to people who reject him? He does. He does. Does God provide in different ways to people who are distracted and aren't seeking him? He does out of his grace. But the abundant life that Jesus talks about, it's for anyone who wants to abide with Jesus. When we abide with Jesus, we fully rely on Jesus. And then there's an abundance poured into our life that we don't have alone that comes from God. Let's consider the sufficiency of God and three responses today that you can make to the sufficiency of God. The sufficiency of God is a fact, but here comes faith. Faith is based on facts, but faith is a choice. In this choice of how we're going to respond to who God is and respond to his goodness, we're going to look at three options today that come right from Isaiah chapter 41. Let's let God search our hearts as we dive into the text. The first option is people are opposing. They are opposing the sufficiency of God. Check out Isaiah chapter 41 verse 1. Be silent before me, you islands. Let the nations renew their strength. Let them come forward and speak. Let us meet together at the place of judgment. In verse 5, the islands have seen it and fear. The ends of the earth tremble. They approach and they come forward. Each helps the other and says to his brother, be strong. The craftsman encourages the goldsmith and he who smooths with the hammer spurs on him who strikes the anvil. He says of the welding, it is good. He nails down the idol so it will not topple. The context, the Israelites are surrounded by nations that are cruel, nations that are violent, nations that have rejected God, nations that have idols, nations that are a threat. And the scene here is these nations and people coming before God to challenge God. Isaiah talks about the islands 15 times in the Old Testament, 14 come from Isaiah. When he says the islands, he's talking about the distant places, people from all places, near and far, uh, gathering together, not just geographically far, but their hearts are far from God. They're gathering together, they're coming together, they're coming to challenge God. By the way, when Jesus returns, and he will, there's not going to be this massive international applause 
just like we see today in our world in so many nations, there is opposition to Jesus, even hatred towards Jesus, and people are killed if they want to follow Jesus. So when Jesus returns, there's going to be a lot of hostility, and it's a parallel to the situation right here. There's international hostility towards God, and at the same time, these groups are trying to form an alliance. That's right, they're trying to come together. They feel like with their skills, with their intelligence, the irony is it's foolishness, but they think, yeah, if we're together, we can take over. We're stronger than God. It's kind of the ultimate humanistic approach, and they're coming together. They're going to challenge God, and then here's the sarcasm. There's a little bit of trash talking going on in Isaiah chapter 41. Uh, They say to each other, yeah, just be strong, be strong, and let's spur one another on. And the irony here, the sarcasm is here, is that, yeah, it takes a lot of strength to build all these idols. It takes a lot of physical strength to build the idols, idols that won't just fall over. Yeah, you're coming before God, you're bringing all your idols, you better make those idols strong so they don't fall over because they're about to meet the living God. And that's the confrontation, that's the challenge. And uh, by the way, not only does it take a lot of strength to build physical idols, it also takes a lot of strength to maintain idols. Have you ever noticed how much strength it takes in our lives to maintain the idols in our life? It gets exhausting. You know, there's a screen time fatigue. A lot of people feeling that right now. There's social media fatigue. People feel that. There's political fatigue. Maybe you're feeling that already in the election, still three months away. But you know what else? There's idol fatigue. And there's no deep exhaustion like the exhaustion that comes from replacing the living God with a substitute or an idol. And we get exhausted trying to maintain the idols in our life. And so they're saying, be strong. Come on, build better idols and just be strong. Dig deep. That's the message here. It's not turn to God. It's dig deep. We're stronger than God. That's the challenge and the spiritual reality of that time. How does this play out? Verse 11, all who rage against you Against you, God, will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. God has the final say, the sufficiency of God, the supremacy of God. God reigns over all people. And the irony is, as they're going to go against God and show their might, God's supremacy and sufficiency will even be more clear. Whenever God is attacked, God's goodness prevails. You know, the prophet Elisha, a little over 800 years before Christ, there was an army. The Aramaeans were coming, an invading army. They wanted to kill the prophet. They were going after him specifically. They wanted to take him out. Why? Because he was speaking God's word. And with that, they showed up, and the person next to the prophet was getting really scared. And and the prophet said, do not fear, because there's The ones who are with us are greater than the ones who are with them. And there were angels all around. In other words, the prophet saw the sufficiency of God. Let me ask you, do you see the sufficiency of God in the day we're living in? Do you see the sufficiency of God? The prophet saw the sufficiency of God. He saw the armies of heaven and he said, do not fear. And he didn't fear even though armies broke out around him that wanted to kill him personally, he stood in faith and said, do not fear. He sees the sufficiency of God. I want to tell you day by day, week by week, seeing God, seeing the sufficiency of God will make all the difference in a trial. And we say, I will not fear what's facing me because I see the sufficiency of God. God has the final say. God is faithful in every generation. Take a look at verse 2. 
Who has stirred up one from the east, calling him in righteousness to his service? He hands nations over to him and subdues kings before him. He turns them to dust with his sword, to windblown chaff with his bow. He pursues them and moves on unscathed by a path his feet have never traveled before. Who has done this and carried it through, calling forth the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, with the first of them, and with the last, I am he. God is saying that he is faithful in every generation. Every generation has a crisis. Every generation has a crisis. There was a crisis 100 years ago. There'll be a crisis 100 years from now if Christ hasn't returned. Every generation has a crisis. God is faithful in every crisis. Every person knows a crisis. God is faithful in every crisis. God is faithful in every generation, and he moves differently. Well, what is Isaiah referring to? That God's going to raise up someone from the east? This is Cyrus. And historically, you also read about Cyrus in Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 45. You see, the Babylonians came in in 586 BC. They wiped out Jerusalem. No one had come in and invaded and destroyed Jerusalem in over 500 years. And now the people were taken into exile. And what would happen next? God would raise up one from the east. His name is Cyrus. He's a Persian king. And in 539, Cyrus would defeat the Babylonians. And you know what he would tell the Israelites? He would say, you can go back. You are free. The exile is over. You can return to Jerusalem. And there was hope looking ahead at how God would raise up Cyrus because everyone was wondering who could, who could possibly withstand the Babylonians. Imagine if you had an enemy and a bully and you just thought, who could ever bring justice? God raises up one from the east, Cyrus, to bring justice to the Babylonians and to set the people free. God has the final say. In other words, God is faithful in every crisis, in every generation. Think about the cross of Jesus Christ. What does it look like? It never, it never looked more like God was defeated. It never looked more like God had lost. But what was it? It was actually the greatest victory we've ever seen. It was victory over death, the forgiveness of sins, risen from the grave. Our Savior is victorious every time, faithful in every generation, in every trial, and anyone who opposes him will ultimately see that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's who we worship. That's his greatness. We see it played out in Isaiah's time. We're going to see it played out when Jesus returns. And the supremacy, the sufficiency of God in every opposition, it's a theme in Scripture. Well, as you take that in, maybe you're not in a position today where you're really opposing God, but at the same time, you haven't really fully embraced his sufficiency and you're wrestling with it. So here's a second option. Instead of just opposing God, what we see here is learning Learning to trust God. Learning to trust his sufficiency in all situations. Let's take a look at verse 13. For I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand, who says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Do not be afraid, O worm Jacob, O little Israel, for I myself will help you, declares the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Here's a picture. What a, what a precious, intimate picture that God wants to take hold of our right hand. When you take someone's right hand, you're saying, let's be together, let's be close, let's journey together. So he says, I want to take your right hand through this time that you're going through right now. Uh, is that work for you? Will you offer it? Will you say yes? Will you embrace his presence? Will you trust his sufficiency? And that picture 
It is, uh, you know, just so intimate. And then what do we read right after that? It's like worm. <laughs> Are we talking about the same relationship here? Like you said you wanted to grab my hand and then what's this worm stuff? I mean, uh, I'm getting close to you, but what are you calling me? Worm really refers to in exile, they were despised. They were called worse things than worms, but they were looked down upon. And also, in their rebellion, I think there were times when they felt kind of feeble, like a worm. Have you ever rejected God in your life and just run away from him? And there's just this sense of feebleness where it's like, I need God. I kind of feel like a, a helpless worm right now. I mean, our bravado and our pride, it's where it takes us eventually as we're humbled. And so the people had rebelled and they were despised. They were called nasty things. And God is really saying, I haven't given up on you. I want to teach you how to trust me even in exile. I'm sufficient. I'm sufficient. And a theme of Isaiah is exile. The people are going to go into exile in Babylon. And speaking of exile, I got a couple pictures of exile in Eugene. That's right. We went on a little trip. We went south and we crossed the border. And what you see there is a lot of O's. When you go to Eugene, how many people have you been to Eugene so far? All right. I've never been. This is my first time. I've heard a lot, but I thought I've got to go down there. And there's so many O's. In fact, I looked at one building and on every window there was an O. Like the whole building. It's not subtle down there at all. You could just call it a cult. It's kind of like this O cult, this duck cult. I was talking to people, it was just ducks, ducks, ducks. You hear about ducks on People even say, I've got ducks in my backyard. I just love ducks. Duck cult. Whatever's going on down there went down there. Kind of got a feel for exile. Our kids are standing there, so they're like, wow, there's O's everywhere. There's one child under each O. And uh, not only that, but the good book says to love those and pray for those who mistreat you. And we know the Ducks have been beaten up on Washington teams a lot the last 10 years. But I went down there with the right spirit to pray, to love, to care for them. And we went down there to Oregon. And here's one more picture in Eugene. I mean, you talk about exile. You know, my wife took this picture. And look at that. Uh, look what I've got right above me in O. And they tried to woo me. They say, look at that. Looks great. You got the O right there. They said, just think of it like a halo. One of the locals said, it's just like a halo over your head. That's how they view the O. And I'm thinking, I'm not doing that halo. I'm not bowing down to no O. And, uh, and, and with that, we, we, we left Eugene. But thriving in exile, thriving down there in Babylon, thriving down there. Why? Because you abide wherever you go. God's sufficiency wherever you go. And I had to check the back of the car as we were leaving. I just asked the four kids, any Ducks fans now? Any Ducks fans? I got a no from all four kids. So there were no conversions. Nothing bad went down there. We came back as we went down. But we were thriving in exile. Had a great time together in Eugene. So I'm being playful with that exile. There's really nothing playful about the exile with the Babylonians. It was rough. It was violent. It was brutal. What they experienced and what they went through. Uh, going back to those questions. God, are you still here? God, are you gone? God, if you're still here, are you kind of powerless? Are you not as powerful as I thought? Or do you just hate me? Do you reject me? And all those questions they were wondering during their trial, the kind of questions we wrestle with when we face a crisis, 
when we think about our relationship with God, well, how do you thrive in exile? How do you thrive in a crisis? How do you learn to trust God in the sufficiency of God? Think about the prophets for a minute, and I'm going to highlight three prophets. One for each example of how to thrive. The first one is Jeremiah. Let's take a look at Jeremiah chapter 15. Lord, you understand. Remember me and care for me. Avenge me on my persecutors. You are long-suffering. Do not take me away. Think of how I suffer reproach for your sake. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. Jeremiah was thrown in a cistern. Jeremiah was mistreated. But you know what he learned to do? He learned to eat, to consume the word of God. And I hope, I pray that during the last five months, as things have been so brutal in so many ways, that your consumption, your hunger, the taste of the sweetness of God's word would just grow in your life. You'd let the word of God dwell in you richly, And when you do that, God will change your heart, your attitude, your relationships. Jeremiah learned the source of God's word during exile. Here's another example. Daniel, he learned to pray, to fast and pray. Daniel chapter 10, 21 days. Daniel humbles himself before God. He learns how to fast and pray. I hope and pray that during the last five months in this crisis, We are learning how to fast and pray and seek God's face in a crisis. Made all the difference for Daniel. It makes all the difference in our lives when we fast and pray. And here's another example. And this one is Ezra. When they come back from the exile in Babylon, uh, Ezra leads the people out of exile into repentance, into restoration. Repentance is when you turn from sin and idols and you turn to the living God. And I want to tell you that your biggest blessings will also include sometimes the biggest temptations for those to become an idol. Your biggest temptations for idols are often the biggest blessings in your life. Let me list 10. Money. Money is a blessing, but it can become an idol quickly, and we love money. And then career. Maybe it's going well and it's a blessing, but it can become an idol, workaholic even, finding our worth through our achievement and performance. Self, every person is a blessing, but we can put ourselves, number one, above God. Family, a certain cause that you're passionate about. Friends around you. Even morality can become an idol, and we love morality more than God. Religion can become an idol. We see it throughout the Bible. Even patriotism. Think of uh, the zealots back in the day. But uh, really, love for nation is a great thing. We're so grateful for our country. But at the same time, patriotism can't be an idol. Politics. Yes, there can be changes made and healthy changes through politics. But at the same time, it can't be an idol. And there's just nothing created that we can hold up and say, here, God, this is my number one now. And what is the shift? It's a shift of repentance to return to the Lord for restoration. Uh, Here's the heart of the passage. Here's what I think is the heart of Isaiah chapter 41. The prophet's leading the people to do is to make a shift from self-reliance to reliance on the Lord. From self-reliance to reliance on God's sufficiency. When you do that, you're going to receive wisdom from the Lord, healing from the Lord, joy from the Lord, love that you have now for other people, purity, impact in this world. You're going to receive so much when that shift happens. And maybe you've sensed there's more than this. 
Even during the crisis, there's got to be more than this. The life I'm living right now, there's got to be more than this. And there's uh, an outpouring from heaven when we make that shift. And I'll, I'll tell you what it feels like inside. When you're self-reliant, you feel like, okay, maybe it's not that great, but it's comfortable. It's what I usually do when I've done a lot. So I'm kind of used to it. I've been doing it for a couple decades. So I'm pretty much there. I'm committed to it. I have been committed to it. And when you start to let go of that, it can feel terrifying. It can feel new. It can feel like you're stumbling to say, I'm going to let go of all my idolatry. I'm going to let go of all my humanistic, me first thinking, attitudes, behaving. I'm going to let go of all the walls I put around my heart because I've been hurt. I'm going to let go of different things. I'm going to let God in. That can be terrifying. But then you know if you keep going and trusting God, it starts to become freeing. And all of a sudden, you're not carrying around the same stress, the same burdens, the same guilt, the same shame. You're not carrying around the same pressure anymore. People are starting to look at you like you're a new person. You're, you're light. You're, you're free. Something's going on here. And then it leads, and it's empowering. And you're like, I love this. How did I not do this sooner? I'm feeling God working in me and through me, and I'm seeing lives change, and I'm feeling so alive, and I'm facing today just ready. It's different. It's so different. It's empowering. And that's the shift that Isaiah is trying to lead the people to, but it's all centered around a relationship with God. And you say, well, what about the times of intense pain? Uh, take a look at verse 17. The poor and needy, they search for water. Can you relate to this? They search for water, but there's none. Their tongues are parched with thirst. But I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I think about suffering in its most intense form, Maybe you're in the middle of it right now. Maybe the, the suffering's just increasing right now. And maybe you can relate to that feeling that I've got nothing left. I've got nothing left. And, uh, and maybe you just feel like I can't handle it. That's the tone in verse 17. I've got nothing left. And I don't know if I can handle this. And what do you do with that feeling? They want water to drink. And instead, all they keep drinking is more suffering. Have you ever just wanted a glass of refreshing provision and, and just something, some good news, and you just want to drink that water, and what do they get? I mean, it's just more sand. It's more suffering. And I think of the cup that Jesus, when he was in Gethsemane, this garden before the cross, and it was a proverbial cup, and he said to the Father, see, in times of suffering, you've got to check in with the Father. And Jesus to the Father said, if there's any other way, may it be so, but if this, God, if this cup has my name on it, and Jesus checked in three times, I'll tell you, the more pain and suffering there is, the more times you check in. God, are you sure this cup is for me right now? Are you sure this cup, God, this one is for me right now? God, are you sure that I'm to drink this cup? And three times, and the answer is yes, you drink the cup. And Jesus, if the cup is mine, then I'll drink it. And he drank the cup. And he took the suffering all the way to the cross, became sin, even forsaken from the Father. So he took the cup and he drank it. And what do we see with that? As deep as the suffering gets in our lives, I want to say that God's sufficiency, God's presence in his sufficiency will be enough. And why do I highlight that? Because you need to know that. You need to know that as much suffering and pain that'll come on this earth, 
that we'll go through, God's sufficiency will still be enough. And when you know that and you hold on to that, it makes all the difference. It doesn't make things necessarily that much easier day to day, but it does in the deepest way make all the difference. And then this hope comes, and out of the suffering, then there's this hope that God brings, because there's always hope with God. We don't mourn like those without hope. And then here's the future hope, verse 18, but I will make the rivers flow on barren heights and springs within the valleys. I will turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs, and I will put in the desert the cedar and the acacia, the myrtle and the olive. I will set pines in the wasteland, the fir and the cypress together. What God is saying is in that desert, there's going to be a fountain. And in that desert, I'm going to plant trees. You said trees everywhere in the desert. That's right. Water, trees, fruit in the desert. It's a future hope. Why? Because for those who can see the sufficiency of God and trust him and learn to trust him, God pours out hope. God pours out hope. And for the Israelites, here's the three things of hope they had. First of all, God's going to return them to the land. He's going to set them free from exile. They're going to be restored and come back home in that sense, come back to their land. Second, God is going to send a Messiah, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. That's a second future hope. And the third future hope is that Jesus is setting up a kingdom that's eternal and it'll be perfect and there'll finally be an end to all suffering with Christ forever in his presence. And and that's what Isaiah kept laying out for the people. Return from exile. The Messiah comes. There's going to be a kingdom. There's going to be no more death and mourning. And the future hope shines bright. And when we let that truth and hope sink in, we've got more strength for today. We've got more strength for today because every day we're closer to that hope. And that hope is real. That hope is real. So instead of opposing God, learning to trust him, now let's uh, close with the third option. And this is resting. Resting. It's really the pinnacle here of the passage. From opposing to learning and trusting to resting. Do you need some rest? Let's take a look at what God says about rest. Isaiah chapter 41, starting in verse 8. But you, O Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you. I have not rejected you. There's God's answer to the question. I have chosen you. I have not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What does God say? Not what everyone else is saying. What does God say? God says, you are chosen. You are selected. God in his love has taken the initiative. He's seen you. He knows you. He chooses you. He selects you. And he's going to empower you as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul's writing to a group of people that really struggled with their faith. Talk about up and down in their faith, the Corinthians. In chapter 3, verse 4, I mean, they probably felt like they failed so many times. And what does Paul say? Such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, 
Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. God makes you competent through the Holy Spirit working through you. There's a lot of people who just stop and they say, I can't, I can't, I can't. What they're saying is I can't on my own. And that's actually a good realization. That's actually a healthy point of brokenness. I can't do this on my own. I can't. I can't lead this family. I just can't respond in the right way. I can't have the patience I need. I can't do it on my own. And when you get to that point, then you're ready to rest in the Lord and receive from the Lord. And God says, you are called from the furthest points. God called them out of Egypt in slavery in Egypt. God calls us out of slavery to sin as well. God called them out of Babylon and out of the rebellion to repentance and restoration. God calls us to restoration as well. I want to show a picture. I was at a lake and something showed up at the lake I didn't expect. It was a helicopter, massive power. And when the helicopter showed up, nobody had to say, all right, stop what you're doing and look over there. It was like everyone at the lake just frozen and watching this helicopter. And the helicopter, you could feel it. I could feel it in my chest, like as the helicopter is lowering towards the water. And why? What's going on? The rescue. What the helicopter does that we can't do on our own when we're drowning, when we're sinking, we're in a pit of despair, we're in a funk, we're in sin, we're in the mud, we feel alone, we know we can't on our own. What happens? God stoops down, God scoops down, God sends his son Jesus down to this earth to become human. Why? To die in our place. A rescue to pull us up, to pull us out by his righteous right hand. The Bible says he upholds us. He lifts us out of the mud and the mire. And the helicopter was a picture of a rescue. And the helicopter could rescue again and again and again. There were several people rescued, rescued, rescued. God can rescue you personally again and again. The helicopter didn't run out of energy that day, didn't run out of strength. And the helicopter will come and God will, with his righteous right hand, reach down to where we're at, lift us up. And all this leads to the statement, so do not fear for I am with you. And I save that to the end because why? A lot of times when you hear do not fear, it becomes like, oh yeah, I gotta try harder. That's right, I gotta try harder. Trying harder to not fear is not the thrust of this text. The message of this text is see the sufficiency of God. See God so clearly. Know who he is. Trust him. And when you do that, fear is gonna start to fade. Fear is going to fade. Why? It's really a command and a promise. It's a command. Do not fear. Why? Because I am with you. Have you ever had that sense? Um, I've seen it on our kids' faces. It's like maybe they're out of sorts or scared or worried and they're just carrying a lot, fearful. And then all of a sudden, like, if Lori and I show up, it's like, oh, whew, you're here. Okay, good, good. I can breathe. Exhale. Okay, you're here. It's good now. It's good. And there's just such a change on the countenance. It's like, you're here. Okay, it's going to be okay. When God says, I am with you, he has no greater truth. He has no greater gift. There's no greater words. There's nothing greater than his presence. There's not a greater offer. You're not going to say, oh, God, that's pretty good. You know, your presence, that's all right. I see that. That's pretty good. But God, what I really want that's better than that is... It's not going to happen. God is saying, my greatest, 
my presence for you. Uh, he's saying, I love you and I'm with you. And that's a change. That's a change for people who felt so alone to rest in his presence because if God is here, God's sufficiency is here as well. I'm going to invite uh, the team to come forward and we're going to worship the Lord right now. But as we do that, I want you to think through those three choices and just let God search your heart. Are you opposing God in any way? I mean, really, these three choices, we can all relate to them every day, can't we? Uh, in different areas of our life, maybe you've got a couple areas where you're opposing God. You're not trusting his sufficiency and you're just saying, God, I'm going to take it from here. I know you're the creator of everything I see. Uh, I know the galaxies are big, but, but God, I'm going to take it from here. I'm going to take it from here. Do you have any of that going on in your life? It doesn't lead to peace. And it leads to a sense of emptiness and shame and failure, which God doesn't want you to carry. What about learning? What about learning to trust him? Maybe it's a time for a decision for you today where you say, God, I'm, I'm going to receive from you in prayer. I'm going to receive from you through fasting. I'm going to receive, God, through repentance and refreshment there. God, I'm going to receive through your word. God, I'm going to receive more. Uh, I'm going to trust you more. God, even in the painful times, I'm going to trust that you're going to be sufficient. Whatever's coming up the next, the rest of 2020, God, I'm going to trust your sufficiency and I'm going to lean in and trust who you are. I'm going to trust what I've read here. And then would you just start to rest today? Would you start to rest in the Lord? That he's chosen you, he's called you, he's faithful. God is too faithful to fail. He's never failed. He's always been victorious. He's never failed. He's too faithful to fail. Will you just rest in that today? So this song, I See a Victory, you could also say, I see his sufficiency. I see his sufficiency. I see a victory. Though the enemy meant for harm, God, God is too faithful to fail. So let's stand up. You can stand up at home as well. And let's see God, his sufficiency, and the victories that he brings in his strength. We just sang one of the major themes of the Bible from the book of Genesis to Jesus to the early church to today. In that battle, it belongs to the Lord. And when things look like there's no hope, God shows up. Why? He's too faithful to fail. God's sufficiency in every generation. And the turning point in our faith is when we see who he is and we see his sufficiency. Throughout scripture, there's a lot of mention of silence. And I want to encourage you. There's two kinds of silence. There's a silence to avoid. And that's a silence of shame and a silence of despair and a silence of worry and isolation. And that's not the silence that God wants us to enter into. But there's another silence in the Bible. And this is a silence of awe and wonder and realizing that we are called, that we are chosen, that we serve a God who is alive, who is real, who is sufficient, who hasn't rejected us, but he calls us back to him and he brings restoration. And I encourage you to take some time. It could be right now just lifting up your arms in the silence and just saying, God, I don't want to oppose your sufficiency. I want to learn to trust your sufficiency. God, I want to rest in who you are. I want to rest in your sufficiency. I want to rest. My soul would rest in your sufficiency. You've been faithful in every generation. You're going to be faithful right now. And we worship you. We trust you. We turn from idols 
and we praise you. Amen.